on himself to be faithful, to be marvelous, to be wonderful. And as soon as we get home, we're going to have some stories to tell how he made a way out of no way. How he provided, how he healed, how he kept us for that day. I don't know about you, sometimes I just want to go home. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. There are days. There are days where I just won't go home. Days where I'm reminded this place is not my home. I can't get I can't get too comfortable. You know, you know when you pile up a lot of stuff, it's hard to move. So as I'm moving through life, we got to move with an open hand and stop holding on to so much stuff. Stop holding on to earthly treasures. Because if we're going to go home, you, you better pack light. You don't want a whole lot of stuff holding you down. Pack light. Pack light. Because the only thing that's going to matter is if you held on to the word. Because the word is what's going to last. The word and everything you've done stored up already. So that when we do see him face to face, we will be able to give him those crowns. Hallelujah. To consider home. Amen. 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 Let's pray and invite the Lord to speak to us, to manifest himself, to teach us, to shape us and mold us through his word this morning. Heads bowed and eyes closed, minds and hearts clear. Let us speak to our magnificent God this morning. Gracious and eternal Father, marvelous and magnificent Lord. For truly, Lord, we, we come before you as unworthy servants, not worthy to be in your presence, not worthy to receive any crowns, because you have accomplished every single thing through Christ Jesus. So this morning, dear God, we just show up with one another just to say thank you. Thank you, dear God, that, that earth is not our home, but you are preparing a place for us right now. Mansions. Looking forward to that day where we will see you face to face. And uh, Father, as we even marvel Upon that day, may we treasure you even now. May we have a nowness to our salvation. That you are working and moving right now through your people to accomplish your will throughout this entire earth. You have poured forth your Holy Spirit to redeem a people for your pleasure, for your glory, for your namesake to make much of Christ. So, Father, I beg that, being filled with your spirit, that we would collectively make much of you this morning. May this morning be not about us, but be all about you, Lord. Whatever burdens, aches, pains, whatever is going on in our mind right now, dear God, I ask that you will have mercy and that you will cause us to be mindful of you right now. 
Father, we ask that you would pour forth your Holy Spirit, that we would glorify you right now. Father, may you give us eyes to see, that you would incline our heart towards your word, that we would love your word, treasure your word, desire your word, and allow your word to transform us from the inside out. Open up our eyes that we would behold how glorious, how marvelous your word is, dear God. May you unite our heart to fear your name, for Lord, we are so distracted, so busy. Help us to focus and to intentionally seek you right now, Lord. Lord, may you satisfy us as only you can. Feed us this morning. Father, for the one who is here that is burdened, that is weighed down, I ask that you would break the yokes of bondage that is upon their back. Whatever issues of their hearts they, they may have right now, Lord, I ask that you will intercede right now in the name of Jesus. That you will set the captives free. That we can worship you freely in spirit and in truth. Father, we ask that you will send forth, pour forth the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of you. That we will truly understand the breadth, the width, and the depth of your love right now in the name of Jesus. We ask, O oh Lord, that, that you would magnify yourself in a way that we would fall out humbly before you, and that the lost would come seeking what must they do to be saved. Oh, Lord, we love you. We magnify you. And we ask that you would have your way in this place. May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Indeed, it is a, a privilege and an honor to be with you once again Force, uh, To all of our guests, welcome on behalf of the entire Forrest family. We're so grateful that you are worshiping with us today. May you not leave the same way you came in here. Whatever burdens were on your back and in your pocket, that you would just cast your cares on Jesus right now. And you would receive the word. It would be implanted into your heart, and you would take that with you upon this day. Well, upon this morning, we have a number of things. We have, praise God, our Lord's Supper this morning. But we also have a, a special guest, as we have been talking about being a church that is missional, who seek to partner with those who are preaching the gospel both locally and internationally. This morning, a missionary that we support has come right on his, on his way to Nepal. He has stopped by just to say thank you. To say thank you for your support, uh, thank you for your prayers, and to uh, request that we will continue to pray for him on this missionary's journey. So after, after we partake in the Lord's Supper, we will have uh, Indy Lama, who will give a brief presentation upon what the Lord has called him to and the exciting things that are at work and in store in, in, in Nepal. Amen? Amen. Well, this morning I invite you to turn with me to the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning with verse 1, and... Last week, we embarked upon a tale of two men. Last week, we looked at the rich young ruler and how, even though he was right in front of Jesus, even though he came running to Jesus, even though on the outside it appeared he was ready for Jesus, he actually rejected Jesus. more concerned about this world than eternal life. But in today's sermon, we look at Zacchaeus, who is a contrast to the rich young ruler in many ways, as we will see, but yet someone 
who was humbled and received this free gift of salvation. So if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Luke, the 19th chapter, beginning with verse 1. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded any one of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also, he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, came to seek and to save the lost. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The tag upon this morning's text is Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible, how Jesus seeks and saves the lost. In the text last week, Jesus spoke of the impossibility of salvation. Salvation is impossible for those who are consumed with earthly treasures. Salvation is impossible for those who are not willing to let this world go in order to receive Jesus. And he, he, he used an a analogy where he said, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a wealthy person to enter into the kingdom of God. And using that example, his disciples look upon Jesus and say, well, if, if the rich and famous can't be saved, if the ones who are well put together can't be saved, if the people who has a, a, a fat 401k can't be saved, if the ones who are styling and profiling can't be saved, then who can? And Jesus drops these words on him. He said, what is impossible for man, it's possible with God. From that phrase, Luke begins to compile additional accounts of Jesus' ability to save those who seem impossible to save. He goes on to save a blind man who in earthly terms uh, cannot see what's in front of him, but spiritually, uh, the blind man represents those who are walking through life blind to the goodness of God. And what does Jesus do? He gives him sight. But here we see that Zacchaeus is the exact opposite of the rich young ruler. But yet, even though he, he is the opposite as far as what takes place, but looking at his life on the outside, he is identical, even worse. So what we have in this morning's text is a demonstration of the declaration that all things are possible with God. Jesus can and will do the impossible. The key to the entire passage here is verse 10, where Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the mission statement of Christ. Why did Jesus show up? Why was he born of a virgin? Why, was he, why did he live a sinless life? Why did he bring disciples to him? Why was he doing miracles and having authority over the weather? Why was Jesus here? His purpose was to seek and to save the lost. Jesus has not come to save the religious. Jesus has not come to save those who have it all together. Jesus has not come to save good people. Jesus has come to save the lost. The lost. Jesus has come to rescue and redeem 
All those who are who were declared his before the foundation of the world. His sheep has been scattered and Jesus, the great shepherd, has come to gather his flock. The lost. So what does that mean for us? Well, because Jesus came to save the lost, salvation is the mission we seek. Those who belong to Christ, we now have a mission of our very own. We weren't saved to sit, but we were saved to serve, to accomplish all that God wants us to do. This salvation is not about us. It's not about our glory. It's not about our name, but this is the mission from on high. God is saving the lost. And he uses weak vessels like us to accomplish his purposes, to the praise of his glory. When we look upon this text, it's easy to think back to that children's story and think that kids is just a cute story about a, a short man. You know, we sing that song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he? Yeah, yeah y'all know that. But this text is one of the most important passages of Scripture. Because we see Jesus declaring his mission for all of us to see. And his mission becomes our mission. So in verse 1, 1 through 4, as we walk through this text, let's look at this impossible mission that God has embarked on. And as Jesus prepares to enter into this town, we see an impossible situation. This is an impossible situation. Jesus, he enters into Jericho. He is on his way to Jerusalem, headed to his last Passover, headed to the cross. And as he is going through Jericho, Jericho is a town known for trade. There's a major trade route, and because it has a whole lot of trade, a lot of customs are going on. And since all the merchandise is being brought through, uh, this is the perfect place for taxation. And as Jesus is, is going through, uh, he's headed to the temple. He's headed to the church, but yet he's still walking past common folks. And as he's walking past these common folks, Jesus is on an intentional journey. And Luke introduces us to Zacchaeus, Lil Zach, let's call him. Lil Zach, this man who was, he was seeking to see Jesus. But the gospel writer actually sets that's the scenario in the scene that Zacchaeus is actually, he actually looks worse than the rich young ruler. Zacchaeus, he's a chief tax collector. Zacchaeus, he's rich. And Zacchaeus, he's, he's small in stature. He's a short man. And as we look at Zacchaeus, in order just for him to see Jesus, he has to climb up a tree. In biblical times, that would have been undignified for somebody of his stature. Why would he climb a tree? But yet, that's just the scenario. Jesus is coming into town. There's a big crowd gathering, and Zacchaeus wants to see what's the commotion. I heard that Jesus may be coming, and I wanted to see his face. This whole encounter is not happenstance. This is a divinely ordained, sovereignly arranged meeting. Jesus is seeking the lost, and today, little Zach, we'll meet Jesus. This is an impossible situation because Zacchaeus is a sinner. From the text, uh, little, uh, Zacchaeus, he is the poster child for outcasts. He's a chief tax collector. That means that his sole job is to enlist other tax collectors and to get them together in order to tax the people. Well, what, what makes that so bad? Well, in the eyes of the Jews, to be a tax collector was the most heinous and horrible thing because you are, you are a, a tool of occupation. Uh, you are betraying your very own in order to get extort money from them to pay the Roman government. You are in cahoots with the occupier. This is as ugly as Jews helping Hitler find other Jews. 
This is the, this is the very scenario of, of uh, uh, Africans finding other Africans to enslave so they would get a profit, but yet those black bodies would be in bondage. This chief tax collector, he's not just a small fry, he's the chief. He's the one who sends down the orders, you go to this house, you go to that house. This is the rate. This is how much. He's worse than a rich young ruler. He's a traitor, and he's a thief. Because there was a certain tax rate that the Romans would say they wanted from the people. So the chief tax collector would take that rate, stack on his rate in order to get money, and then send that rate down. And who knows how much the small tax collectors would add up. But by the time it gets to common folk like us, those IRS rules were so convoluted, we're like, I don't know what to pay. I'm just pay- I'm paying all these taxes. Where am my money going to? But I know I, I, got, I have to pay it. It gets to that point. He's a traitor. He's a sinner. But then the text says he's rich. Looking back to Luke, the 18th chapter, we see that it is so hard for the rich, the wealthy, to inherit the kingdom of God because their hands are so full, they're so comfortable, they don't think they need Jesus. He's a traitor, he's a sinner, he's far from God, he's, he's rich. But then the text says he's small in stature. Well, what does that mean? When, when, when you look at it holistically, he, the, the, the author is not saying that small people are sinful, but he says, Zacchaeus is lacking in every aspect of his life. He is far from God. He is not one worthy of the kingdom. If there was anyone to enter into the kingdom of God, it would not be Zacchaeus. And then lastly, he says he he climbed a tree. He's undignified. This is an impossible situation. If there was a poster child for the person least likely to be saved, it's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus represents the sinfulness of sin. Understand the depths of our sin. When when we sin against a holy, a beautiful and wonderful God, we we are committing cosmic treason. We are rebelling against God. This is the the worst type of rebellion where we are sinning against God himself. That's what sin is. That's who Zacchaeus represents. But yet, even in this impossible situation, because Jesus is on the road, Zacchaeus has hope. He has hope. Why Why do we think that Zacchaeus has hope? Because he's wanting to go see Jesus. Somewhere, someone along the way has told Zacchaeus something about Jesus. He's heard about a man who teaches like none other. He's heard about a man who is able to heal all types of infirmities. He's heard about a man who has authority over the winds and the waves. He's heard about a man who is a friend of sinners. That's his hope. His hope is that the Messiah who has come actually cares about sinners like him. Walk with me in the book of Luke to see how tax collectors were seen in Luke, the fifth chapter, verses 30 through 32, we see. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, talking about Jesus, why do you eat and drink with, watch this, tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors had their own category. Luke, the seventh chapter, 28th verse. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Then watch this, 29. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors, too, they declared God just tax collectors. They have such a bad rap. Chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors 
and sinners were drawing, were all drawing near to hear him. The tax collectors were the worst of the worst, yet Jesus is a friend of the worst. The situation is impossible unless someone does something. Unless someone steps into Zacchaeus' situation, he is condemned, he is doomed to eternal life apart from the goodness and glory of God, and yet Jesus shows himself to be a friend. Beloved, do you know that before Jesus saved us, we were in in an impossible situation? Don't think that Jesus saved you because you were just so uh, uh, optimistic. Jesus didn't choose you because you had so much potential. Jesus didn't choose you because uh, you had a nice profile on those directory pictures this week. He didn't choose you because you had the right clothes on. He didn't choose you because of your family name. He chose you because he chose to. He chose you because he chose to. It was nothing about you. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, the scriptures tells us. We were enemies of God. We were separated. But, beloved, I'm so glad that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Because Jesus is a friend of sinners, before he goes to church, he stops by the side road. You know, sometimes as saints, we so focus on church, we miss the side roads. We so focus on uh, uh, the worship experience that we meet the person, we, we forget about the person in the cubicle next to us. We're so focused on Sunday that we miss Monday through Saturday and being witnesses and meeting people where they are. Where's the Jerichos of your life? Where's the regular roads that you encounter regular folks who are lost? We can't be so focused on getting our praise on that we walk past those who are damned to hell if they don't repent to Jesus. We seek the salvation of the lost because we face the impossible. And the impossible is the fact that each and every day we see news upon news upon news about how wicked, how heinous, how terrible things are. Things aren't going to change because of legislation. Things aren't going to change because of improved teachers in the public school. Things ain't going to change because prayer may be back in schools. Things change when people are saved by Jesus. Because now I'm not worried about the outside. From the outside in, we're working from the inside out. You already know, you you see a teenager grow up. They may have been in church all their life. They've had people around them, surrounding them telling them not to do this and don't go there. But then as soon as they turn 18, as soon as that external restraint is gone, they go off to school and and go buck wild. Missing classes. Wasting money. Maybe it's because we can be so concerned with the outside of people sometimes that we don't work on the inside. That's why we seek salvation of the lost, because it does the impossible. It changes a person's heart. We can't control people, but the Spirit can change people. But this gospel account doesn't stay there. As soon as we're introduced uh, to Zacchaeus, we see the situation ramp up in verses 5 and 6. We move from an impossible situation to an immediate reaction. Because in verse 5, Zacchaeus is on the tree. He's looking down. But the text says, but when Jesus came to the place, I like how he lays that, the place. Like he knew the exact spot, the exact moment, and the exact time where he needed to stop in order to speak to Zacchaeus. At At that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. 
for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Little Zach is in the tree, and Jesus stops right in front of him and say, Hey, little Zach, brother, I need to stay at your house tonight. I'm inviting myself to your house. And what does he say? Y'all know how we do when people invite themselves to our house. Nuh-uh, y'all should have called before you came. Uh-uh. I don't come on my house. I ain't clean nothing up. What does Zacchaeus say? He is overjoyed. I'm sure he had a who me moment. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, me? Me? Jesus, don't you know who I am? Jesus, don't you know where I've been? Don't you know how, how, how dirty I am? Jesus? Don't you know what they say about me, Jesus? He had a who me moment. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Ah, salvation is calling his name. When Jesus calls you by name, something changes about your demeanor. When, when, when Jesus calls you by name, all of a sudden you forget about what they say and you're only concerned about what he has said. When Jesus calls your name, you begin to, to move and you have an immediate response. See, when Jesus calls your name, he doesn't count to three. You know how we do. We got children. We want them to obey. So now, little Johnny, I said stop. Now I'm going to count to three. And if you don't, a one, I'm counting, two, no, 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 no. When Jesus calls your name, you obey right away, all the way, for his glory and for his name's sake. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. And what does Zacchaeus do? He comes down. He doesn't wait to wonder what they're going to say or, or if he feels like he comes down. And the text says he receives Jesus joyfully. He's excited about the fact that, that Jesus is coming to his house. This is, when Jesus calls your name, you will be saved. Zacchaeus just shows us the response. Salvation produces a reaction in you. Something Something takes place. When, when Jesus calls your name, you begin to obey. You listen to what he says. You go where he wants you to go. You do what he wants you to do. But not only that, salvation produces joy. A supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding. If Jesus has called you, called you by name, why are we so upset? If Jesus has called you by name, why are you so frustrated? If Jesus has called you by name, why, why are we so bitter? If Jesus has called you by name, why do we need to gossip about what they doing? If Jesus has called you by name, why are we not excited? Out of all the names he could have called, somehow he's called your name. To, to appreciate this, maybe we need a who me moment. Jesus, me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know where I've been? Don't you know what I just said? Don't you know what I just thought? Don't you know what I just bought? Jesus, me? That should be so shocking and surprising that it produces a joy in us that Jesus would deal with broken folks like us. When Jesus calls us by name, it produces an immediate reaction. Zach, he, he came forth immediately, and he, and he came forth with joy because he knew when Jesus called him by name that he would be his past no longer matters. See, we seek the salvation of the lost because we want wholeness. Why do we share the gospel? We want people to be made whole. If we, were, if we knew our condition, if we knew that I was broken, 
and I had issues, and I had drama, that, and, but, but Jesus called me by name, and now he's making me whole, reconciling me unto the Father. Uh, if he's done that for me, why wouldn't I want him to do that for you? Reconciliation means wholeness before God. Man, what joy it is to be made whole. But we see that even as Zacchaeus comes and receives Jesus joyfully, we see that the haters going to hate. In, right, right in next verse 7, we see that impossible situation, this is uh, an immediate reaction. But watch this. This is an impeccable response. As soon as Zacchaeus comes down, and with the text saying, they all grumble. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. They begin to hate on Zacchaeus. They begin to bring up his past. They begin to talk about him. Uh, beloved, once Jesus saves you, there's always going to be somebody who reminds you how you used to be. Yo, yo, cousin, uncle, aunt, friend. Hey, they, if Jesus saves you and brings you out of some stuff, there's always going to be people who's like, oh, I remember when you, you trying to tell me about this Jesus stuff. I remember when we used to do this, this, that. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember when we used to do this, this, that. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know what? I, I was a sinner. And I'm saved by grace. There's always going to be people who want to distract from the goodness of what God has done, but they want, they want to bring you back down on their level. Living in the past. Sometimes I get with my boys back at Michigan. Sometimes I'm in town and just reminisce about the past, the good times we had. But, you know, sometimes people are just stuck in the past. They stuck at what used to happen. And they're not thinking about eternity right now. We have to move past the past. Because the accusations were true. He was a sinner and he was a scoundrel. He was a thief. But God stepped in and saved him. So though salvation may produce opposition, most importantly, we see Zacchaeus' response. Salvation produces repentance. And I want to camp here for just a moment. Because Zach, he recognizes that he's guilty of the first commandment, of having another God beside God. He recognizes that his job has been his God. His money has been his God. His authority has been his God. His power, prestige has been his God. And he has been looking to his God to sustain him. And in, he, in his response to Jesus, he is, he is confessing, I know I am a sinner and only you can save me. But not only is he reconciled to, to, to God vertically, his repentance is, a, is an awesome demonstration of what it looks like to be reconciled horizontally, horizontally. If salvation produces repentance, repentance produces humility that shows off itself in selflessness. If I'm really repentant, it's not all about me. It's not all about what I want or what I want to do. My standard, if, if I'm really repentant, that I'm going to be generous because I know what I have is by God's grace in the first place. If I'm truly repentant, I'm going to look to make restitution where restitution is needed. That's one aspect of repentance that, that we're, we're desperately needing, church. What would the reputation of the church look like if the people of God who have offended other people, actually made restitution for the sins that they have committed. So you're not just in your prayer closet asking God for forgiveness for how you cussed out your boss, but you are man enough or woman enough to go in front of your boss in front of everybody and apologize face to face and make whatever restitution you need to because that was, that's what Christ calls us to. 
Have you ever taken from someone? Have you ever stolen from someone? Have you ever hurt someone financially? Oh, yeah. oh you know what? My bad. Okay, your bad. Genuine, genuine repentance wants to fix what's wrong, though. There's some phone calls you need to make today. There's some restitution that you need to make today. If you, if, if you are, are genuinely repentant for your sin, there's some things you need to make right today. Because the text shows us that repentance loves restitution. What does he say? He says, if I have, I give half to the poor. Jesus, this, this money means nothing to me. I got, I got you. You are my joy. But then he says, and if I have defrauded anyone, I'll restore it for fourfold. Fourfold. Zacchaeus is looking back to the Old Testament, to the, to the, to the worst kind of thief. In the Old Testament, the worst kind of thief would have to pay back fourfold. He's saying, I'm a thief. I'm a liar. I have cheated people. And, and if I have cheated anybody, I am willing to repay them fourfold. Whatever is necessary, I am willing to pay back because now all this money, all this power and prestige means nothing because I have Jesus now. He's ready to give up that sinful life. You know, sin is like trying to survive in the ocean, drinking salt water. If you know anything about surviving in the ocean, if you heard any stories, but there are times when people are in that little boat trying to survive and no one is around and they see all that water and they know mentally, I, I can't drink that water. There, there, there's salt in it. And so the more I drink, the more dehydrated I actually become. Though this vast ocean of water is right there, uh, uh, if I try to satisfy my thirst from this seawater, it will actually kill me quicker. But what do we do when we see sin in its vastness? We, we, I know I'm not supposed to drink from it. I know what it's going to do to me, but I'm still going to drink anyway. But I'm still going to drink anyway. See, that's not repentance. What Zacchaeus does is his response is indicative of a repentant heart. He acknowledges the the, the depleting power of sin. He says, sin is a thief, so I'm going to give back. He says, sin ostracizes, so I'm going to come into Jesus. He says, sin is a burden, so I'm going to lighten my load and tell the truth. He said, sin is never satisfied. So I'm just going to give up my earthly possessions for Jesus. He said, sin never satisfies. I'm going to give up everything for Jesus. See, repentance is a response of grace. We can only truly return, uh, uh, return to Jesus. We can only return to uh, everything that we owe other people if grace has been given to us. You know, when Jesus saves you, your decisions reflect his grace now. I believe that when Zacchaeus heard the people talking and grumbling about how he used to be a sinner, I believe that he, he made this, this, this sacrifice of, of his wealth not just out of a sense that he owed God something, but because he wanted the name of God, his reputation, to be exceeding above everything else. Because if he was just to walk into the church with that same reputation, what would it say about the, the church where he went to? He is saying that I, I am willing to do whatever it takes to make Jesus look good because he's what matters most. And he begins to live out of this gratitude. So we seek the salvation of loss because we want transformation. We want people to be changed permanently. We don't don't want people to to act like they know Jesus. We want people to genuinely know Jesus and to be changed by Jesus. So we see this 
impossible mission, this immediate reaction, this impeccable response. But then lastly, we see this incredible welcome. Verses 9 and 10, Jesus, he declares and decrees for everyone to see. He, He already knows that he saved Zacchaeus. He's come to rescue Zacchaeus. But he wants everyone else to see. Today, salvation has come to this house. Since he is also a son of Abraham. One who by faith has exercised dependence and trust on God. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is a demonstration of repentance. Jesus declares over Zacchaeus, for all to see, this is my child. This is my child. This is how the children of God behave. This is how children of God receive, and this is how children of God share. He's come home. Zacchaeus has come home. It's like a a parent who lost a child long ago. And then that day they get the call that their child has been found. The parent runs out, grabs the child with a big hug, loves the child, tells them how much how much they miss them, how, how glad they are that they've returned home. This is what Jesus is doing with Zacchaeus. Today is salvation. I'm so glad you've come home. I've rescued you. See, when Jesus saves you, you receive his assurance. He's declaring, if there's any question about your eternal security, Zacchaeus, He said, no, today salvation is yours. I give you assurance of salvation. And not only is salvation is yours, but you receive a new family. You may have been ostracized by everyone out here, but you're mine. Come home to me. So we seek the salvation of loss because we want more. We want more. We want more family. We want more brothers and sisters in Christ. We want more celebration because the text says when one is saved, the angels in heaven are celebrating. We want more glory because when a soul is saved, it is mission impossible and only Jesus himself could have rescued them from their sin. When someone confesses their need for Jesus Christ, all glory be to God. It's not the preaching. It's not the songs. It is the Holy Spirit working in the heart, taking what they have heard, applying it, regenerating their their spirit, and having them call out, what must I do to be saved? All glory be to God. Glory be to God. So even as we look at Zacchaeus, my question to you, we see Jesus' mission, but are you on mission? Are you on mission? If we're the people of God, and he's given us a mission, and his mission statement was to seek and to save the lost, are you on mission? Are you having gospel conversations? Are you looking for the lost? Are you seeking to serve those who are on the margins? For as we must be a people who are on mission for Jesus. See, Zacchaeus, he's an example of someone who was the furthest away from God. And you may be thinking today that you're too far from God, that you've done too much, that you've separated yourself. And you know what? You're right. You are far from God. And you know what? I was far from God. But Jesus called my name. And when he called my name, he drew me to himself. And if he can call my name, he can call your name. No matter where you are, no matter what sin, no matter matter what deficiency, Jesus can call your name. And when he calls your name, you will be saved. The impossible will be accomplished in your heart. So when we pray, church, we pray that Jesus will call someone's name. When we look at our wayward sons and daughters, we pray, Jesus, Call their name. 
When we see the foolishness on TV, we say, Jesus, please call their name. When we have a mother or father who is far from God, we plead with Jesus. Jesus, call their name. Because when you call someone's name, like Lazarus from the grave, they will wake up from the dead and be healed. When Jesus calls your name, Jesus is on mission to seek and to save the lost. So because Jesus came to save the lost, salvation is a mission that we seek. Beloved, if Jesus does the impossible, then what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? How many people do we know are lost, headed to hell, Nowhere in here does, does man save Zacchaeus. We don't save. We sow. We share. We have gospel conversations. We live the gospel. We repent and make restitution so people will stop saying there ain't nothing but hypocrites in the church. Not because of you. Because you've repented. You've made restitution. Before us, we need to be on mission. We need to make the name of Jesus known. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this contrast that we see in Zacchaeus. That through his life, you have shown us what the worst looks like. But we also see what the best can do. Because you are preeminent. You are not like us. You are all powerful and magnificent, and you and you alone save. So, Father, I ask that you will save someone even today. Father, that you will use us to be on mission for you throughout this week, Lord. Father, give us the courage. Give us the strength to share the good news about what you have done through Jesus Christ for sinners such as ourselves, that we would bring numerous people into your kingdom by your power and your might. We love you and we thank you. Have your way. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.